Welcome, everybody, to Socratica Reads. My name is Kimberly Hatch Harrison, and I'm the co-founder of Socratica. You know, Socratica, the company that makes educational videos on YouTube. It's true. We make beautiful STEM videos that help you learn more. But I hope you will also think of us as a group of people who simply love learning. I wrote a book called How to Be a Great Student, and it's not so much about getting better grades in school as it is about making room in your life for the joy of discovery, understanding how to do right by yourself so you're not getting in the way of doing your best work. When you help yourself become a great student, you take ownership of your own learning, and no one can take that from you. We are all born natural scientists, making observations about the world, or detectives, if you prefer. I think this explains why it's so delightful to read mystery stories. It taps into this great pleasure we get from exercising our brains. Now, I'm not going to pretend to be ignorant about this sad fact. There's a lot of anti-intellectual sentiment out there, a kind of sneering at book learning. But I believe that's the dark side, and we are on the side of the light. There might be a battle we will win today, like keeping one of your favorite childhood books in the library. But somewhere else in the world, someone is trying to prevent a girl from going to school. We can't assume that all of human society has come to the universal agreement that learning is good and that's settled. You're going to have to keep up your end of the struggle. Even if all you do is post on Twitter how much you love your local library, that helps. Wearing a Socratica sweatshirt, that helps. You could buy a copy of my book and send it to your little cousin. Just a thought. I have this podcast as a home for people who love reading and want to revel in how good it makes you feel when you find a great book or revisit a much-loved classic. I love to think about how books have influenced us over the years, both in our work and personally. In this last episode of the year, I want to return to The Dark is Rising series by Susan Cooper. We just had the longest night of the year here at Socratica Studios. It was the winter solstice. Last year at this time, we discussed the second book that gives this series its name, The Dark is Rising, which that book is set on the winter solstice. Yo, oh, is it spooky? <laughs> but this year, I want to focus on our coming out of the darkness. From here on out, our nights will get shorter and the days will get longer. One day it will even be summer. So this time we'll look at the first book of the series, Oversea Under Stone. It's set in the summer in Cornwall. If you're interested in British history and British mythology, you might already know a little bit about the stories and the mysteries about this part of the countryside. This book series is masterful in the way it helps children understand the scope of time and how stories can last for generations. It's a lesson that is helpful for adults to be reminded about as well. Once again, this is a story that celebrates the curiosity of children, of people in general, people who are on the side of the light. There's this idea imbued through the book that only if you are open-minded will you be able to discover the secret truths that are all around you. Before I read a passage to you, I'm going to pause to say there will be no further interruptions. 
no commercials from sponsors. That's because we are sponsored by the Socratica Foundation. And the Socratica Foundation is sponsored by you. The Socratica Foundation is an educational nonprofit dedicated to the three timeless pillars, literacy, numeracy, and critical thinking. We have a literacy campaign to spread the love of reading and share its enormous power. This includes reading lessons, book donations, and this podcast, Socratica Reads. You can learn more at socratica.org. Now, let's turn to some tempting passages from this British mythical mystery, Oversea, Under Stone, by Susan Cooper. Are you ready? Let's begin. Great Uncle Mary raised one hand, though he did not move. His chin was up. He looked as if he were waiting for something. Gently now, he said, if you have found something in the gray house, what is it you have found? Simon felt inside the rucksack. He drew out the case and handed the parchment to Great Uncle Mary. We found this. Great Uncle Mary took the parchment without a word and gently unrolled it on his knees. He gazed at it in silence for a long while, and they could see his eyes moving over the words. The wind on the headland whined softly round them, and although, as they watched, Great Uncle Mary's expression did not change, they suddenly knew that some enormous emotion was flooding through him. Like an electrical current, it tingled in the air, exciting and frightening at the same time, though they could not understand what it was, and then he raised his head at last and looked out across the hills of Cornwall, rolling far into the distance, and he breathed a great sigh of relief that was like a release from all the worry of the whole world. Where did you find it? he said, and the three children jumped at the quiet, ordinary tone of his voice as if it brought them out of a spell. In the attic! There's a great big attic, all full of dust and junk. We found a door behind our wardrobe and a staircase leading up. I found it, Barney said. I threw my apple core away, and I went to get it back because of the rats, and I found the manuscript by accident in a corner under the floor. What is it, Gummery? What does it say? It's terribly old, isn't it? Is it important? Is it about buried treasure? In a way, Great Uncle Mary said. His eyes seemed dazed unable to focus anywhere, but there was a twitching at the corners of his mouth. Somehow, without smiling, he looked happier than they had ever seen him look before. Jane thought, watching, it is a sad face usually, and that's why there is such a difference. He laid the manuscript down in his lap and looked from Jane to Simon to Barney, and back again. He seemed to be searching for words. You have found something that may be more important than you could possibly realize, he said at last. They stared at him. He looked away again over the hills. You remember the fairy stories you were told when you were very small, once upon a time? Why do you think they always began like that? Because they weren't true, Simon said promptly. Jane said, caught up in the unreality of the high remote place, because perhaps they were true once, but nobody could remember when. Great Uncle Mary turned his head and smiled at her. That's right. Once upon a time, a long time ago, Things that happened once, perhaps, but have been talked about for so long that nobody really knows. And underneath all the bits that people have added, the magic swords and lamps, they're all about one thing. The good hero fighting the giant, or the witch, or the wicked uncle. Good against bad. Good against evil. Cinderella, Aladdin, Jack the Giant Killer, and all the rest. He looked down again, his fingers caressing the curving edge of the parchment. 
Do you know what this manuscript is about? King Arthur, Barney said promptly. And King Mark. Simon found the names in Latin. And what do you know about King Arthur? Barney looked round triumphantly at his captive audience and drew breath for a long recital, but somehow found himself stammering instead. Well, he was king of England, and he had his knights of the round table, Lancelot and Galahad and Kay and all of them. And they fought jousts and rescued people from wicked knights. And Arthur beat everyone with his sword Excalibur. It was good against bad, I suppose, like you said about in the fairy stories. Only he was real. Great Uncle Mary's quiet, pleased smile was flickering again. And when was Arthur King of England? Well, Barney waved his hand vaguely. A long time ago. Like in the fairy stories, Jane finished for him. I see. But, Gummery, what are you trying to tell us? Was King Arthur a fairy story too? No, Barney said indignantly. No, said Great Uncle Mary. He was real. But the same thing has happened, do you see? He lived such a long time ago that there's no record of him left. And so he's become a story, a legend as well. Simon fidgeted with the strap of his rucksack. But I don't see where the manuscript comes in. The wind over the headland stirred Great Uncle Mary's white hair outlined against the sky, and as he glanced down he looked magisterial and severe. Patience a little, and listen carefully now because you may find this difficult to understand. First of all, you have heard me talk of Logris. It was the old name for this country, thousands of years ago, in the old days, when the struggle between good and evil was more bitter and open than it is now. That struggle goes on all round us all the time, like two armies fighting, and sometimes one of them seems to be winning, and sometimes the other, but neither has ever triumphed altogether, nor ever will, he added softly to himself, for there is something of each in every man. Sometimes over the centuries this ancient battle comes to a peak, the evil grows very strong and nearly wins, but always... At the same time, there is some leader in the world, a great man who sometimes seems to be more than a man, who leads the forces of good to win back the ground, and the men they seem to have lost. King Arthur, Barney said. King Arthur was one of them, Great Uncle Mary said. He fought against the men who wanted Logres, who robbed and murdered and broke all the rules of battle. He was a strong and good man, and the people of those days trusted him absolutely. With that faith behind him, Arthur's power was very great. So great that in the stories that have grown up since, people have talked about his having magical help. But magic is just a word. I suppose he didn't win, Jane said, with sudden conviction, or there wouldn't have been any war since. No, he didn't win, Great Uncle Mary said, and even in the clear afternoon sunshine he seemed, with every word, to become more remote as ancient as the rock behind him and the old world of which he spoke. He wasn't altogether beaten, but he didn't altogether win. So the same struggle between good and evil sides has gone on ever since. Again, I'm wondering how I might have been influenced by this book had I read it as a child, the age of the children in the book, as opposed to sometime in my twenties. Would it have been as moving to me as, say, the Narnia books? I revisit these books now as an older person, and I'm more interested in this Uncle Mary character and what is he thinking and not saying. But above all, I think it's important that children read, if not these books, books that are like these books. 
books that celebrate being on a quest for truth. If you want to chat more about Susan Cooper's works and the power of reading, our Discord server is open to all of our YouTube channel members and our patrons from Patreon. You can join at patreon.com Socratica. Thanks for listening.